Well, I think that we have just about succeeded. We've got um, most of us found a seat. We've got full cups of tea or coffee. We're enjoying those refreshments. You know, some people have been all week just kind of preparing the refreshments and the logistics to make this work. Most of them you're not going to see on the stage today, but they're kind of in the kitchens or they're out in the entrance here. So I think we should start with a big thank you round of applause to those who've prepared today. Yep. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, I'm looking forward to this morning. All week, actually, we've had a series about identity, ID, who are you? And we've been asking questions. What is it that defines us? Some of you might have been to every night. For some of you, this might be the first event you've come to. Either way, big welcome. And we're going to really just enjoy a conversation this morning. Um, sitting up here, we've got some uh, music that we're going to listen to as well. Then we're going to kind of wrap it all up at about quarter past twelve, when we'll then have some more refreshments, more um, time for conversation as we keep on thinking. Really about these these biggest themes. So you're in the right place this morning here at Oakwood Church. We're really glad you've joined us. And I'm particularly glad that we've got two guests with us. One of them has come from miles away and the other has come just from around the corner. So we've got Graham Norman. Big round of applause for Graham Norman. Graham, welcome. Great. Graham, which of you? Have you come from miles away or from around the corner? Four minutes. Four minutes walking. Great. And, uh, and six minutes on your moped. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, and then we've got Simon Pinchbeck, who's come from a bit further away. Big welcome, Simon. Great. Well, Simon, you come from a bit further, but from, not from a million miles away. Where, where have you... I live near uh, Stansted Airport, but I've come for the cakes this morning. Yeah, good. <laughs> Ain't that nice? That's what we've all come for, really. Brilliant. Well, a big welcome to you both. Thanks so much for uh, for being here. So, um, we, we've had a week where we've been uh, we've been looking at identity and and thinking about um, who am I? How do I define who I am? And and this morning um, we're thinking about justice, and uh, we've got two. Uh, one former copper and, uh, and a current policeman uh, with us this morning. And uh, Graham, what drew you uh, towards policing? Um, <clears throat> well, I, I, uh, I was at university, uh, left university, didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Um, I went to a careers advisor, um, and the, the, you had sort of 100 questions on this thing, and it turned out possible careers. One of them was like, uh, one was a nurse, uh, but one was police. Um, and I looked at it, and the guy said, oh, we'll have the leaflets anyway, but I wasn't interested, so I chucked the leaflets to the side at home. And then a few weeks later, when I still hadn't figured out, I saw the leaflets, and I looked at them again, and I thought, actually, it could be quite a fun job, because I, I never wanted to have an office job. I did a degree in biology, never wanted to do anything with biology, because it looks a bit boring sitting behind a lab, <laughs> in a lab all day. So I just fancied an outdoory sort of job, so the police yeah. kind of appealed to me in that way. Wow. Yeah. I, I went to one of those careers things, and the computer gave me, I should um, design shoes. <laughs> Yours was a I'm better computer not. than mine. <laughs> but about you, Simon, did, did you always want to be in the police? Or uh, no, um, I um, to this day, uh, Andy, I don't know my biological father. And uh, my mother married a, a guy when I was about four years old, and uh, there wasn't a lot of love there. And uh, I didn't realise it at the time, you know. And uh, growing up. I was quite a good rugby player and um, I played uh, rugby almost uh, England standard and uh, my father never came to see me once. So I didn't think much of that until I had my own two sons. And, um, but um, what drew me into the police force uh, was that I've been watching a program on a telly called The Sweeney. I don't know if anyone's seen that. <laughs> I'm not the new one. I'm talking about the, the old one. I mean, I'm, you're not my son and all that stuff. I thought I'd, I'd, I'd come to London. I was living in the Midlands at the time. I thought I'd come to London and, and jump straight into the flying squad. It didn't quite work out like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um, Graham, do you, do you remember your first days in the police? Like, you know, what it yeah, was I do. Like as you started. So I joined in 1989. Um, back then, we, uh, we patrolled in tunics, 
We had a little wooden truncheon about this long. If you're a lady police officer, you had a wooden truncheon this long. Um, yeah, and a little handbag to hold in. That was a lady's, not me. Um, and uh, I loved it, yeah. I remember my first few days, um, like it came to home time. I didn't want to go home. <laughs> I wanted to continue patrolling. It was so, I really enjoyed it so much. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Slightly different now. I want to go home now, but yeah, back, back, back then it was like, yeah, just just loved it. Really good job. How about your first days in the police, Simon? Um, it was uh, 1976, going back a few years. It was, uh, and uh, um, the thing was, uh, I was trying to find myself in the police and and, and identity. I realised that um, in those days, um, the more uh, out there I was, the more heavy-handed I was, the more kudos I got from my colleagues. So um, I very quickly realised that uh, to hit first, ask questions later, and, and that seemed to uh, give me a, a, a bit of standing with, with all my colleagues. So that's why I learnt in the early days. Yeah. Wow, wow. Okay. Uh, any, any thoughts of God back then? You know, any thoughts of God back then when you're starting your days in the police and... No, um, I was about the furthest away from being a Christian when I was in the police force as I'd ever been in my life, Andy, because uh, let me clarify that. I used to swear on the Bible many times in court. It meant nothing to me. It might have been a copy of FHM, Woman's Weekly, or The Sporting Life. It didn't mean anything <laughs> to me at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about, how about you, Graham? How was, have, you, have you always played it straight as a copper? We were recording this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so we got, we got, uh, in the police, we got this, um, bit of legislation called the Ways and Means Act. Um, it's actually not legislation at all. It's just kind of how we work. You, you'll know the Ways and Means Act. So basically the, the legislation is quite restrictive for us. So we, we'll, we'll kind of, um, not, I don't want to say break it, but we'll kind of fudge it and bend it to make it practical. So, for instance, there's bits of legislation where you're, you're only allowed to do stuff if you're lawfully on premises. And to be lawfully on premises, you have to be invited in. So I used to be on a drug squad for a while. So we had a, we had a whole um, host of um, costumes, postman, gas meter, reader, electric meter. So we'd turn up somebody and we'd kind of use a bit of subterfuge to get in. And once lawfully on premises, we could do stuff as cops then. Um, and the same as well, like there's certain things you can't do if people are on premises, they've got to be outside. So, you know, you go, oh, come, just come out and have a fag with this sort of thing. And as soon as they're out, you can do stuff, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of a bit, bit of fudging, really. Yeah. So the Ways and Means Act, which we use quite a lot still, actually. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, lawfully. I'm going to look at my postman differently now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the postal service used to really hate it because when they genuinely turned up a criminal's premises, they used to get a bashing because they thought they were cops. So, uh, so we got a lot of complaints off the postal service for doing it. <laughs> so, Simon, I, I know that part of your story is that, you know, things kind of curved off the rails a bit. And, uh, you know, how, how would you stay, say that things started to curve off the rails uh, for you? Uh, very quickly, I did a lot of football duty back in the day. I spent 10 years over at the Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> You're in South London here. <laughs> and uh, I had a big moustache in the day. They called me the walrus over at the Arsenal, you know. And uh, it was, we had all sorts of fights back in the 70s and 80s. So, um, And um, one big fight... Uh, really um, marked uh, my life really it was uh, a, a game between Arsenal and West Ham United uh, back in 82 and uh, uh, the West Ham fans at the time had, had the most uh, notorious football hooligans called the ICF or the Intercity Firm and they came <coughs> into the North Bank which was part of the Arsenal's ground and they attacked them and I was in the middle of all that uh, and I was very fortunate to get out without any uh, injury and uh, all my mates said oh did you see you know Pinchy did you see the walrus get stuck in but uh, deep down I thought very vulnerable because I thought I was Iron Man I thought the blue uniform grime I thought it, I thought it uh, you know protected me I thought I was indestructible um, and that came back uh, to, to haunt me a little bit because uh, I joined a, a later on in my career I joined a, a younger set of police officers all plain clothes all single men, I was married, I had two kids, and I started to adopt a single man's lifestyle, I'm ashamed to tell you. And I started to go out to pubs and clubs, uh, messing around with, with other women, and, uh, uh, and eventually uh, got so bad as I, I left my wife, and I left her at a time, sadly, when her, her mother was terminally ill with cancer. Her mother was dying with cancer, 
I left her to look after her mum, walk out um, on my two boys as well. Uh, and um, things got worse for me because in a nightclub in North London, I had a fight with an off-duty police officer and knocked him to the floor, knocked his teeth out. Ended up on a serious assault charge, um, which ended up, I ended up on trial at Woolwich Crown Court. Uh, and I got off that, after a five-day trial, I got off of that, Andy, uh, because of uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, all to do that football match I, I mentioned to you. So, very quickly, coming on to what, your question, um, I then was upset with the police force. Uh, I loved the camaraderie of the police force, and I drifted into a life of crime uh, because of guys who I was in training in a gym. There were some guys in there in the gym. I started making acquaintance with them, and uh, pretty soon uh, I was going out and doing uh, some uh, criminal activity mm. with these guys. It was just a different sort of camaraderie, and uh, sort of I, I just leapt into it mm. um, and, and, and wanted the money and material things that came with it. Mm. So did that just was that just a phase of your life that just then quietly finished, and then uh, you kind of moved back into more mainstream, or, or what happened next? Um, no, I, I, I was uh, determined to get more and more money because uh, that was uh, what was driving me at the time. Uh, I wanted more and more uh, money with these fellas. Uh, and these guys, uh, after a couple of years, they, they, there's no honour amongst thieves, especially where I found notice concerned because they ripped me off for a, a large amount of money. And one-on-one uh, -on -one I could deal with it, but not in a group, you know. So um, uh, I ended up, um, uh, ended up telling them I don't want nothing more to do with you. And... Um, and I was very angry, and, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been so angry that resentment sets in, and if you let resentment sets in, Nelson Mandela says, you know, uh, resentment's like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. Mm. Uh, and um, I was very angry, and I walked into the gym, the same gym that I'd been training with, with these guys, and I saw a guy who was a very violent criminal on a running machine, but, and he turned his life around through his faith in Jesus Christ. And the peace I saw out of him, you know, I went over and um, I started talking and we started going out for, for some uh, breakfast, started um, talking about uh, my life. Um, and he said one thing to me, Andy, very quickly. He said, you've got to start, um, stop blaming everyone else. You've got to stop blaming your parents, the fa your family, the people that rip you off, the police, and start to take a big, hard look at yourself. Pretty much like that Michael Jackson song, you know. If you mm, want to mm. make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. Mm. So um, from there, he invited me to go to a church with him. Uh, church wasn't on my radar, Andy, to be honest. I thought all Christian men were dodgy fellows who wore sandals and socks. <laughs> <coughs> the weather's a bit bad today, but if we, if we was here in the summer, we'd see it, you know. <laughs> And, and Andy, a Christian guy with a guitar, that was my worst nightmare. You know? I've taken the rainbow strapper. <laughs> Very wise. Yeah, but uh, he, I ended up going to a church with him, which was a church called the Holy Trinity Church in Brompton Road. Night preacher called HTB, February the 10th, 2002. I walked through the doors of that church, and the peace hit me was like no other feeling. Wow. That night I said a prayer with a guy called Nicky Gumble. I didn't know who he was, but now I know he's the vicar of that church and he fronts up a Christian course that's called Alpha. I said a prayer inviting Jesus into my life. I knew what that meant. I knew I had to turn my back on everything else in my life. All this other stuff, I knew I had to start again. I knew I had to, to get rid of that stuff and, and, and start again. And uh, it was just a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me for everything I've done. I, I turn my back on all that now and I accept Jesus Christ into my life yeah. as my Lord and Saviour. Yeah. And my life started to change from that day forward. Wow. Wow, that's beautiful. I want to hear your story, Graham. We've got, we've got a guest here who's a, a singer, and uh, she's called Amy Ledger, and uh, she's sung for us before. So she's going to sing us a song that she's chosen, uh, written by a girl called Philippa Hanna, who's been a guest <coughs> here, actually. And um, this, this song speaks about identity. So, uh, Amy, thanks so much for singing this to us. Watching my face never change, I don't feel beautiful today. I don't want to waste any more hard and cash on these 
a miracle. They never changed the way I feel. Don't make me beautiful today. And how long can I hide away beneath this day's skies? And what drastic measures do I have to take to realize that I am? that Amy might sing another song in a minute. So uh, that was beautiful, Amy. Thanks so much. What a song, speaking about that we have an identity because there's a God who's made us and who loves us. And uh, I think that's what Simon has been pointing us towards, that, that he was discovering his identity as he realizes there's this father whose arms are held open, a father's embrace that waits. But what about you, Graham? I mean, how did, uh, would you say, yeah, I've always been a Christian, you know, since I was born. How, how does that work for you? Uh, no, not at all. Um, <clears throat> so I think I always kind of had a, some sort of vague belief in God, but I thought it was the old sort of follow the Ten Commandments and you'll, you know, you'll get to heaven. And my mum used to say to me lots, you know, well, not lots, but quite a few times, you know, I think we'll be all right. I think we'll get to heaven because, you know, we, were, we consider ourselves to be good people. It's quite funny, it's good cop, bad cop thinking, I'm sure. Simon was far better than me for, for most of his career, but um, on the outside you appear to be, you know, that sort of good cop, but um, and on the inside you, I'm probably not. So um, when I was at work, I had this, uh, my surname's Norman for people who don't know, so I had this reputation, a little bit like you, if, if Simon was a pit bull, I was like this little annoying chihuahua. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so they, they used to call me Stormy Norman after the, 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 the Desert Storm guy. Um, so, like I said, I was uh, a lot of my career. I was in like a proactive team, a part of drug squads, that sort of stuff. And um, so, I used to be really, really keen on getting getting criminals. We used to put loads of doors in. We had loads of informants. We were the most successful drug squad in the Met at the time, borough-based drug squad. 
Um, and yeah, we, we just, we just, you know, like mad or on fire for like, uh, doing our job. Um, but I had, I had a, an utter disregard for criminals. You know, I used to absolutely get scum of the earth. I used to hate the guys. Um, we used to, um, Simon, I know we used to, the cells at the Nick were called the bins. So you used to nick somebody and chuck them in the bin. That's kind of how the contempt we had for them. Um, and, uh, and, and that was it, you know, just scum, leave them there to rot for all I care sort of thing and get as long a sentence as possible at court for them, which we were quite successful at doing. Um, which is quite right for some of the crimes I were doing, but just, um, I think my attitude towards them was really, really, uh, really, really poor. Um, anyway, then, uh, then we left. Uh, so yeah, so, so God really wasn't in my radar at all there, you know, I kind of thought I'm a good person. Um, and then, um, we emigrated, well, we, we took, I took a career break, went to New Zealand for three years. We had our son, Luke, out in New Zealand. Um, decided to come back and, and, uh, and get him um, christened, because that was kind of the thing he did. Not because we believed in God, but we just, just, I just fancied the party, if I'm honest with you. Uh, that goes with it. Um, Kate's far more sincere than me, my wife. Um, and so we, we, uh, we contacted a vicar over here uh, in Chipstead um, from New Zealand by email. Uh, and just kind of said, can we get our son christened? And he was like, uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, when, you know, when you come over, we'll, we'll have a talk about it, sort of that stuff. And he was emailing Kate and saying, you know, so what do you know about Jesus and the Bible? And I was like to Kate, I was like, what is wrong with this boy? We just want to get him christened. Yeah. Just tell him, we've read the Bible, we know all about Jesus, we just want him christened, all right? It was utter lies, you know, neither of us have read the Bible. I, I think I picked it up once and then put it down again because it was a King James version and the these and now is just kind of like, what? It's foreign language. So, um, so Kate, being far more sincere than me, wrote to him and said, no, we haven't read the Bible, we don't know about Jesus. So, <laughs> so when, when we got to the UK, it, um, Patrick um, was the guy, uh, an, an amazing vicar, really, really good guy. Um, he lived just down the road from my in-laws, which are here, actually. Uh, they live in Chipstead as well. So we went down and saw Patrick, and Patrick said, you know, oh, brilliant, we, we, we can have a naming ceremony, or we can get him christened, it's up to you. But, you know, what, what, you know, what do you think about Jesus sort of stuff? And I thought, you know, what... What's this guy on about? You know, trying to get, get him christened, please. And um, anyway, but he was brilliant because he was really insistent on telling us the gospel. Um, and he showed us this um, little um, video that came out of Holy Trinity Brompton, actually, about, um, well, about Jesus and about the cross, etc., and about getting, uh, about christenings. And it was a, it was just a, it was a cartoon. Uh, and, uh, and me and Kate were there in his, in his room watching this cartoon. And, uh, and I found myself in tears, which is quite bizarre. Kate was in tears as well, but she always cries at anything, so that, <laughs> that, that wasn't particularly unusual. Um, but um, for me, like this roughy tufty copper, you know, I, I was, I thought to myself, you know, I really thought I was proper hard, you know, I was out in the streets of London dealing with gangsters and stuff. I thought myself to be a proper hard bloke, um, albeit I don't look like Simon. Um, and, um, yeah, and I found myself in tears watching this video about Jesus, about how he died on the cross for us and stuff. And I thought, this is proper weird. This is really strange. So, um, anyway, kind of, uh, excuse myself and, you know, yeah, all, all good now sort of thing. So Patrick gave us a couple of bu- books to read and say, well, you know, have a think about it. Come back tomorrow. Um, one of the books was by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace. I remember it very well. Um, and I read it and Kate had a different book that she read. And uh, we're sitting in bed and reading these books sort of thing. And we're like kind of thinking, oh, this is not, not really heard about this Jesus this way before. This is really quite odd, uh, quite strange. So um, we, we read them. And then we went back to Patrick again. And this guy's really insistent on tells about Jesus. And, and he goes, so, so what do you... So in the end, I had to say to him, well, right, Patrick, I don't know why. Why did Jesus die on the cross? I have no idea. So he, he told us why Jesus died on the cross. You know, he said, because to take away your sins because you, you you know we can never be good enough ourselves even though we think we're good enough we're not, we're not you know no one can ever reach god's standard and the only way to get to god is through reaching god's standard and i kind of realized well i can't reach god's standard so and and so yeah so he just told us you know jesus died on the cross because he's the only one that could reach god's standard and therefore he took my sins for me and therefore if i believe in him i can have his righteousness even though i'm not righteous i can be seen in god's eyes as righteous so I thought, wow, that, that's pretty amazing. Never heard it that way before. I've been to church quite a few times, you know, for funerals, weddings, that sort of stuff, but never actually heard, or might have heard it, but never actually went in. Um, so I just kind of heard it that way, and I was like, I was kind of blown away by, by, by it, really. And then Patrick said, you, well, do you two want to pray with me and ask Jesus into your heart? And I thought, yeah, why not? Sort of thing. Kate was like, yeah, well, we'll let's, let's do this. So 
we prayed a prayer which we said you know thanks jesus that you died for us on the cross we asked for forgiveness for our sins and asked him to come into our heart and the holy spirit to live in us sort of thing and that and that was it and we walked away and we had luke and a push chair and we're, we're walking it was probably it's probably only about sort of a, a, a two three minute walk from patrick's to um kate's mum's house and so we walked down the road and we're pushing the pram and i remember looking at each other we were like and we, we were giggling saying oh crikey does this mean we're born again christians because <laughs> to me a bit like you they were proper weirdos you know <laughs> i remember once they came knocking on my door to, to sort of tell me about jesus and i was like you know, speak to the hand, slam the door in the face, sort of thing. That was my attitude towards them. Because um, I, I never actually knew any, really. You know, I kind of only knew that um, that stereotype, like Simon said, you know, weirdos with guitars and sandals sort of stuff. Um, but obviously, I've, I've met loads of you now and realise you're not. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we were giggling, sort of thinking about we were born-again Christians. Um, but but it was there's an amazing turnaround in my life. So... Um, so for many, many years, I'd had this really um, difficult... I'd been addicted to pornography, and, uh, and I'm really ashamed of it, really, but because um, it was... Sorry. <laughs> it was really damaging on my, my marriage to my, my wife and stuff, so... Um, and I'd, for, for, for many um, years, I'd tried to stop it, but could never, ever stop it, and... Um, and, and the amazing thing was, the very next day, after I'd prayed that prayer, it stopped. No, no effort of my own, nothing at all, just, just stopped. No desire to look at it ever again. And I was like, amazed, I was just kind of blown away from it. And, and also another weird thing happened, and, and Dave, my father-in-law here, is here as well. And I went round, uh, I was around with, walking around being q with Dave the next day. Dave may not realise I was acting weird, but <laughs> I remember strolling around being q looking at all these people and being q thinking... God, I love you lot. It's pretty weird. It's like, it's like something really strange happened to me. It's like, why am I walking around being cute thinking I love people? It was a proper weird change in my life. Wow. Um, and another thing as well, I was like, um, so prior to this, and I think Simon had the same experience as me, I was a foul mouth cop, you know? Every third word would be a swear word. And, and, and the foulest words you can think of, horrible, horrible stuff. Um, because in the police, it's like the culture, you know? Everyone swears. Um, and it stopped. It just stopped. And you had the same experience, didn't you, Simon? Yeah. And um, I, I must admit, you know, I, I have occasionally fallen back, mainly because the kids drive me insane. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, not, it, it, it's, it's, it's not a regular... I don't mean I swear at my kids, by the way. I mean, you know, in the quietness of my... Like, um, just put them in the but, bin. Yeah, in the... Put, oh, what joy that would be. I might, I might get one of them at, at home. So... Um, uh, yeah, so that stopped as well. And, and, uh, and my life changed. And, and we went back to New Zealand. And I was working in a fraud unit in New Zealand. It wasn't a police one. It was a, it was a, a government one. But they're all ex-cops in this fraud unit. And they all had the same attitude as cops have, of course. Um, and so they're all usual sort of stuff, swearing inappropriate, you know, didn't like the criminals we were dealing with, etc. But my heart had changed. And uh, my boss especially, she was... I mean, you know, if... if uh, she was the female equivalent of Simon, you know. She was a proper pit bull lady. She, she was, uh, yeah. She, she just hated criminals with an absolute passion. And I changed, and she was like, "What is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> what? You know?" And she, she treated me with contempt. She didn't. She started to dislike me because my attitude had changed to people. And I was like, you know, can we deal with this a different wow. way or and stuff like that? And I was actually starting to talk about Jesus at work, and she's like, "Can you stop with this Jesus stuff? Like, really? You know?" So. Um, and my mates who were like a bit weird anyway we came back to the UK uh, I rejoined the police because it was just a career break for three years and, and, uh, and the people I used to work with as well they were like what, what has gone you know what's, what, something's a bit strange about you what's happened sort of stuff so I was telling them all about Jesus sort of thing um, yeah so it, 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 it was a bit weird and even now like you know because I don't swear and stuff and people know I'm a Christian if I'm at work um, people apologise for swearing in front of me and that's, that's, that's unheard of in the police, you know. They'll F and blind, oh, you're sorry, Gov, you know. Huh. And I don't say to them, don't swear in front of me. They just, I don't know, they just notice it and, and stop. So, yeah, so. What rank are you, Graham? Inspector. Yeah, it helps, doesn't it? You know. Well, that, that, <laughs> yeah, fair, that, that is a fair point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but even so, you know, they swear in front of other inspectors and don't, um, don't apologise. But with me, they do, so, yeah. 
Brilliant. What an amazing story. So you get this little, little, little child is born. You try and line up this uh, christening. And it all goes wrong because the bloke just won't do what he's told. Yeah. <laughs> and then he insists that you look into this person of Jesus. You watch this cartoon that it somehow, in a childlike way, explains that, well, Jesus has died for your wrongness and that somehow that can change your life. And you buy into that and you pray to this Jesus and say, please forgive me. And you've just described a, a life transformed. Mm. That is really quite moving and quite amazing. And a life that continues to be transformed. Thanks so much, Graham. Well, look, we're just really glad that you could be uh, sharing your story with us this morning. You know, some of us might want to come and talk to Graham and ask him some questions about these things he's been, uh, he's been saying to us. Well, it would be great just to get another question into Simon um, before we get Amy to sing us another song. And um, I just wanted to ask you, really, uh, Simon, you know, what does the person of Jesus You've described this transformation, but what does the person of Jesus mean to you now, today? Here's the deal, Andy. You know, um, we can never escape our past. We can't, you know. Um, we can try, we can run, but sooner or later we'll get tired and our past will catch up with us. Um, I had a Sunday Express knock on my door uh, last year trying to get stories out of me for, from... Uh, bent coppers and stuff like that. You know, we can never escape our past. So that's why uh, Jesus Christ says in the Bible, we have to be born again. We have to be born again. We have to be a new creation. We have to be a completely new creation. We have to leave the old stuff behind and be a new man. And that's what it means to me. See, Jesus is, uh, I've got a friend now, Andy, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's 366 on a leap year. <laughs> I've got a friend who, who don't judge me by the clothes I wear, the money I've got in my pocket, or the football team I support. He loves me because he made me. Mm. And that's the same for every single person out here. Um, for me, I, I've got forgiveness for my past in Jesus Christ. I've got peace in the present from Jesus Christ. And I've got hope for the future. Brilliant. And a massive thing for me, because not knowing who my earthly father was, following Jesus has led me to my spiritual father. Brilliant. And you said it a bit earlier, it, being in the arms of the father that made you, yeah. you don't want to go anywhere else. Yeah. I would never return to the mess I was in. And life's still a struggle. Yeah. Both my sons have had trouble with drugs. Uh, one had trouble with cannabis. Anyone tells you cannabis is harmless, they're telling lies. Took four years of his life away at a time when he should have been going to university. My eldest one had a problem with cocaine. But we got through. We got through with them guys, through their faith. And now uh, they're holding down great jobs. The oldest one's married and, um, and he's given, me, um, uh, given us two beautiful grandchildren. I got back with my wife. Wow. 2010, we uh, renewed our wedding vows. Yeah. I've got the love, honour and trust of my boys back. Things are not perfect. I still struggle in certain areas, you know. A uh, bit of road rage here and there, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't say bless you, brother, you know. Uh, no, no. But, you know, I've got an amazing life now and I've got a, a love that just you cannot describe it. And my life and my marriage and my family has been restored. That can only happen through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Simon, that is so powerful. That is amazing. And that we've just described about forgiveness for the past, peace for the present, hope for the future, and this experience of an embrace, the embrace of the Father that you're made to know. That's just amazing. Thank you, Simon. You know, again, some of us might want to come and talk to Simon Moore um, about these things. And uh, please do that. We're not in any hurry today, and we've got time to talk and be together. You know, while we just let some of these things kind of resonate in our minds and in our hearts, um, Amy's going to come and, uh, and sing us another song. Are you all right to stay on the stage? Is that all right? Yeah, lovely. And this is another song about identity. And... Uh, Amy really carefully chose these songs. And this song is, is 
really written by somebody looking to the eyes of her heavenly father and saying what it is that that heavenly father says about them and how their identity again is defined by that relationship by that embrace of a heavenly father tell us what the song's called amy it's called you say by lauren daigle you might have heard it being played on the radio but you've never heard a version as good as this one that Amy's going to sing to us now. beautiful you know thank you Amy you just couldn't have chosen a a more ideal song what a beautiful song that is written by somebody gazing into the eyes of their heavenly father and realizing that they their identity depends on his love for them and on nothing else you know we've had a a brilliant week looking at this theme of identity and uh, thinking together what is our ID you know who are we and uh, just in these last few moments, I wanted to think about um, uh, three things together about what is our identity as far as justice and identity is concerned. You know, I, I find that um, 
in my mind, I kind of draw a line, you know, and I say, well, you know, everything above this line is okay, and everything below the line, well, that's kind of broken. And um, in the kind of way that, that I am, and perhaps the way that many of us are, I then put myself in the middle of the story, and I say, well, here we go. Everything that's worse than me is wrong. Everything that's better than me, or the same, is okay. I'll be the measure of what's okay. I've got a friend who, uh, whenever he sees a, uh, a car, a police car, parked near his house, he refuses to go home. Uh, he sees it there and he kind of backs off, goes around a different way, goes out for a coffee, goes down the pub, because he thinks that maybe, uh, maybe they've arrived for him. I think maybe sometimes they have, actually. He's avoided them so far. You know, there's a, um, there's, there's a story that is told, and, and it's, a, it's attributed to different people, you know, Kipling or to uh, um, Arthur Conan Doyle. But the story is that there's this um, telegram that is written, and this telegram, um, it's written to 12 of his mates, and it says this, it says, it's kind of an urgent telegram, comes to people's door, and it says, flee at once. All is discovered. And then um, he kind of watches to see and sees that, you know, half of his mates leave the country because all these people have got their hidden secrets and they think, oh no, um, I've been exposed. I've got to get out of here. Because I think that even though we draw our own line and say that everything better than this is okay and everything worse is not okay, that when we're thinking about justice, that actually, if we're really honest, in those dark moments in the night when there's no other voices, when we've turned the radio off and we're just lying in bed listening to the wind like last night, where there are all kinds of hints that actually, wherever I draw the line, I'm kind of the wrong side of it. This guy is a bit of a hero of mine. He's called uh, Solzhenitsyn. Um, he was in the uh, Soviet army, um, but then he got arrested. And he got put into this, uh, into this system of gulag, you know, the, the prison camps. And he wrote a book that was banned for a long time in the Soviet Union called The Gulag Archipelago. Read a few of his books. And, uh, and he wrote this. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? I think it's amazing. You have to kind of think about that for a while. But he's, he's drawing this line again. And he's saying, okay, well, here's a crowd of people. Um, if only it was as easy as this, that you'd divide the people. Okay, there's the people who, aren't, who are good, and they're the people who aren't good. And you draw a line around the people who aren't good, and you ship them off. And then, well, then that's the solution. But of course, he's saying, actually, no. That's not right, because if we're really honest about those voices in our head, those echoes in our own hearts, that actually that dividing line that separates good from bad isn't a line that is outside of us, but it's a line that runs even perhaps through our own hearts. There's bits of beauty and goodness in all of us. Yeah, but there is utter brokenness and things where we are so the wrong side of justice in our own hearts and who would want to destroy a bit of their own heart what he's saying is that we've all got a problem when it comes to justice that we're all the wrong side of it when it comes to justice that we all need some kind of solution that comes from outside this is a bit of poetry, a bit of ancient literature. Um, it's older than Salts and Nitzin. It's written by a bloke called Paul, who uh, thought himself at one time the right side of justice. He thought of himself as, as good as you can get. He thought of himself as the good cop, if you like. And he said this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Something kind of peeled off his eyes one day and he realized that all that goodness that he thought he was only made of, it was all an illusion. And that actually there was some brokenness, utter brokenness in his own heart. And that he fell short of God's standard. A few of us were sitting in in our lounge the other night and uh, a guy who was singing a couple of nights back, Colin, he explained really helpfully this phrase. And it reminded me, you know when you go on a roller coaster and uh, you're going in with, with, your, with your little ones and, uh, and, and they've got there that kind of sign, you know, you've got to measure up against this sign. And if you're big enough, you get into the roller coaster. If you're not big enough, sorry, have an ice cream and we'll be back in a minute. And, uh, well, if we were to measure up against God's standard, it's saying none of us can measure up. None of us are good enough. None of us make it. None of us measure up. So if we're thinking about ID and justice, the first thing is this, that we don't measure up. We're not good enough. None of us. Because that line of brokenness, it goes through all of our hearts. Look, the second thing about our ID and justice is this. We're utterly loved. And we've been hearing it already this morning. I heard a story. Um, it, it, it might have been in What's So Amazing About Grace, actually. That book really moved me as well. And uh, there's a story about, um, about a culture where the family would give the bride's family a, uh, a gift. So imagine here's a bloke and he's going to get married. And so the family of the, of the groom give the bride's family a gift to, to, um, as the bride moves across into, into the, the bloke's family. And, uh, normal would be like, you know, a goat or a, a couple of sheep or something like that. And there's this guy and he's actually, he's, his family have all died. And he's, he's a single bloke. And all the treasures of his family is actually all these cows that he owns um, are his. And he can do what he likes, you know. And he, he wants to marry this girl. And everyone thinks she's just kind of an ordinary, you know, girl. As he's grown up with her. And uh, they all think, you know, goat, that'll do. You know, give that to the bride's family. But he adores this girl. And, uh, and he's got this treasure of these 20 cows. And he, and he brings, you know, he brings his treasure. And he just goes, look... I want to give you all my treasure for this girl to come into my, into my family. And everybody thinks he's crazy. And, but he values this, this girl so much that he, he brings all his treasure and gives it to her. And people watching on watched how the, the dignity of this, well, ordinary girl grew up in the back street. She's just one of us. How this dignity of this girl just grew. Everyone thought this bloke was stupid. What did you give 20 cows for her for? You could have got away with a goat and a couple of sheep. And uh, it's like, oh, I love her. And, and so we've given everything. I've given everything for her. It was all mine and I've given it for her. And people watched on as this, as this woman just gained this great dignity and standing as she realizes that she is worth all the treasure of this man's life. You know, the Bible speaks of you being utterly loved by the God of heaven. And there's another line that is written by that bloke Paul and he says this in in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 he says this but God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us you might think well how does how does that help <laughs> what's that about well that is on the basic level just saying that God loves you so much that he has come in the person of Jesus to give up everything to draw you into his embrace. You know, Jesus was the one person who seemed to live a different kind of life, who seemed to live without breaking things, who seemed to live without that brokenness that that old-fashioned word sin points to. And yet, at the end of his life, he was treated as though he'd done everything wrong. And he was nailed to a cross. As though he was the worst of them all. The biggest criminal of the lot. The biggest loser. People scoffed and laughed and watched him die. 
But what people didn't realize, but what we've been hearing today from Graham and Simon, was that that Jesus was dying for the wrongness of all those people who were spitting at him and scoffing at him. He was dying for the wrongness of all of us in this room. He was dying for the wrongness of Simon and of Graham. He was dying in our place like a swap. And he was going to give them his rightness. He was going to give them his goodness. If they would only, as we've been hearing what Simon and, and Graham have done, if they would only say, Jesus, I believe you died instead of me. And so this drastic swap took place to anyone who would say, I believe, Jesus, that you died instead of me to take away my wrongness. That Jesus would give them his rightness and his death on the cross would be paying the price for the wrong things that we've done, that they've done, that you've done, that I've done. And that's why Paul writes, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what's our ID? What's our identity as far as justice goes? Well, it's true. We don't, we don't measure up. But we're unimaginably loved. Jesus has come and he's died instead of us. He's taken our place. One more thing. One more thing, and that is, and we've been hearing it this morning, it's kind of echoed all week, that there's a God who loves and who waits and who calls, invites, invites a response. I love to hear about Graham's, that vicar, what a brilliant bloke over in Chipstead, and Patrick, and how he was just inviting and inviting, and it wasn't actually the vicar who was inviting. I believe there's a God who was inviting Graham. And he was saying, Graham, come to me. Come to me. Because Jesus has died for you. You are invited to experience that liberation, that life in fullness, that forgiveness in the past, that peace in the present, that hope for the future, because Jesus, he's died for you. Some people think that Christianity is about sorting our lives out following rules, doing good stuff, going to some building. But we've been hearing this morning, it's about none of that. It's about how God has done something for us. How Jesus has come to the rescue. How he's come and he's died in our place. And how he calls, how he loves, and how he waits, how he calls. You know, there's another another line written in that same letter by that bloke, Paul. And he says this, and these aren't just Paul's words. I'm convinced that these are God's words to to us. And some of these words, the the vocabulary might sound a little bit strange sitting in Catrum, but it's beautiful and it's for today too. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You will be saved. You know, we've been thinking about how, well, justice, if there's a line, actually, we're all the wrong side of it. But we've been thinking about how Jesus has come to die in our place. And there is this call, and it resonates this morning. And it's an invitation to say, to speak out. That's what declare means. To say, Jesus, he is the Lord. To believe in our hearts. This doesn't mean kind of believing against the evidence, crossing your fingers and jumping into the dark, but looking at the evidence and realizing that it's utterly convincing that in history, Jesus, the one who died on that cross, that he rose from the dead, conquering death, underlining that he is different from anybody else, that he has the authority to bring forgiveness. And if we declare that Jesus is Lord, And we come to that place of trusting, leaning on the truth that Jesus has been risen from the dead. Then we too can be saved. We too can be rescued. We too can experience that forgiveness for the past, that peace for the present. And that certain hope for the future. So ID, 
Well, we don't measure up. It's true. We're unimaginably loved, but also we're personally called. And you're hearing that this morning. We've got another singer with us. His name is, uh, is Jonathan. And uh, we're going to sing you a song together. This song, I, I wrote this um, sitting in a bus station and uh, just watching people go past and, uh, and thinking about these things that we're talking about this morning. And it's a song of invitation. And it says this, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And it's an invitation. And in a moment after this song, um, we're going to have some time just to reflect for a few moments before we have um, our, some more coffee and tea. Jonathan, thanks for Now you run for the bus, climb on, and you smile at a person you don't know and drive on. But today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And the basket plays and taps his feet, sweet song. But a reminder of what you want to forget, so move on. in your heart Today if you hear his voice don't harden your heart Cause there's one who loves and who waits and who calls and there's one who dies to save Save your life And is there life Richer than this Well think Think on And is there a place Of real peace Well think Think on And today if you hear his voice Don't harden your heart Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Well, thanks, Jonathan. You know, um, just as we close, could you um, reach towards um, the toast rack? Because on there, there's all sorts of stuff. And uh, one of you on the toast rack, just grab these postcards, says thoughts on it, and flick it round. So everybody's got one. There's heaps on there. There's, uh, you can even take two if you want. So uh, thoughts, that's it. Brilliant, brilliant. And in a moment, um, there'll be an opportunity um, just to scroll um, something on there. Uh, I'll explain what in just a moment. But uh, do hand those and, and pass around the pencils as well. There's pencils, pens. Um, you can, uh, yeah, brilliant. Well done. Fab. Excellent. So in a moment, we'll look at that. But uh, I just wanted them to be there in front of you. But just to say, you know, there's probably, there's probably three groups of us in here, you know. Some of us are saying, ah, you know, thanks for the cake. <laughs> See you later. 
well, we're so glad you've been here, you know, and so glad you've been here to think about these big things. Thanks for listening, you know. Thanks for being here, thinking about these biggest, biggest things. Thinking about these claims of the Bible and the claims of these guys who we've been interviewing, you know, that none of us measure up, but that we're unimaginably loved and that we're personally called. Thanks for being here and thinking about these things. But if, if you're thinking, thanks, this isn't for me, you know, but, uh, well, please... Come again and uh, keep on thinking about these big things. And if you are thinking, well, I'm just going to push this away, let me just invite you to do one thing. You know, on that rack, there is part of the New Testament. Um, It's Mark's gospel, Mark's biography of Jesus, an account of Jesus written by uh, somebody who spent a long time researching it with an eyewitness. And it's very short, takes about an hour to read. And I'd really encourage you that if you're going to uh, push this away, well, just make sure you're pushing it away with your eyes open. And uh, just grab this, read through it, and, uh, and just have a look directly at the source evidence for who is Jesus and what were his claims and what did he do. And uh, it will just help you as you make that decision. It might even just change your mind too. There's others of us here who are thinking, you know, this is really intriguing and really beautiful. And uh, I think that at some stage, I I would like that. At this point, uh, you know, at this point, I've got more questions, more things I want to talk about. Perhaps you're going to come and talk to Graham and Simon. And that is brilliant. Or to Amy or to Jonathan or to any of us. But... um, If you're one of those people who's saying, you know, this seems really intriguing, quite wonderful, but I want to know, is this true? And will it stand up to this question or that question or that thought or the other? Well, if that's you, then we've got a course for you uh, that's really, um, really enjoyable. You might have seen it. It's over here in this uh, foyer. We run it three times a year. It's called Christianity Explored. There's one starting soon. And you can come along to that. You don't have to come to all of them. Come to the first one if you like. Like it, keep coming. And uh, you'll have some food, some refreshments, a good conversation, and a concrete opportunity to ask your hardest questions. It's very similar to the Alpha course that the guys mentioned. So you might want to say, actually, sign me up for that. I want to come and, come and check that out. Finally, you know, we've been having a week of thinking about this, of thinking about identity, thinking about our ID. And each night we've thought about this, that we are personally called by a heavenly father into his embrace. An embrace we don't deserve, but an embrace we can experience because Jesus died instead of us to give us life in fullness. And you might be saying, look, just, just show me the door, you know? Where, how can I, how can I experience that? I want to know that right now. And if you are at that place in your heart this, this afternoon, then I'm gonna pray. And you might wanna just echo these words as I pray. And this is the kind of prayer that you could pray as you pray for the first time and say, God, I don't wanna harden my heart anymore. I will hear your voice. I believe that Jesus died instead of me. I believe he rose from the dead. And I want that forgiveness and that life that comes. It doesn't come because I'm good. It comes because you're good and you died in my place. So I'm going to pray. You might think this is a bit weird. I haven't prayed before. All that praying is, is speaking out, believing that there's a God who's there, who hears and who loves And uh, so I'm going to speak to him now. And you might want to echo these words. You don't have to speak them out loud. You just might want to echo them in your heart. Some people say, Amen, at the end of a prayer. It just means yes. Some of you might just want to say yes. Some of you might want to say anything. That's all right. But if you personally want to make this your prayer, if you personally want to respond to the God who loves and waits and calls, then this is your opportunity this morning. So I'm going to pray. Father, Thank you that we've heard these stories of men whose lives have been transformed by your loving kindness. We've thought about justice. And when we see that line, we realize that we are not measuring up. We're not good enough against your standard. But this morning we've been hearing that you die 
Jesus dies instead of us. Taking our place, offering a swap so that we could receive his goodness. And this morning, some of us want to say for the first time, Jesus, I'm sorry for all the wrong things that I've done. For the way that I thought I could get to you by my own goodness. Or for all the rubbish that's littered and strewn through my history. Jesus, I'm sorry. Thank you that you died instead of me so that I could be forgiven. Please be my king. Be my Lord. I want to live for you now. I want that transformation that comes when you fill me with your Holy Spirit. And bring me that forgiveness and life in fullness. Amen. Yes. Amen. Well, we said we'd hand out these little cards. They're all in front of you now. You know, we want to run more weeks and events like this. So please, if you've got a moment, just write some thoughts on there. And just all of you, please feel free to grab a pencil, grab a pen, and, uh, and write on there anything you like. Um, you don't have to fill in anything else, but just start writing. Then others of us who want to write, we won't be embarrassed. So please, just start writing right now. That is great. Then some of us, we just want to keep in touch. And uh, if you pop your name and an email and the date, today's date, I think it's the 9th today, um, write, it, write it on there, then, um, then we'll just send you news about more events. We won't give your address away to anyone or anything like that. We'll just keep it and we'll pop you an email occasionally and just tell you about what's coming next. Next events, next music, next people for interviews. We'd love to keep in touch. So pop your name and email and the date on there and we will keep connected. But it might be that some of us want to keep exploring, you know, and we want to come on that Christianity Explored course. So if you want to come on that, then just tick that next box down. Just tick that just there, and uh, we'll tell you when it is. And we'll be able to do that because you've left your email above, okay? So thanks for writing that down. And then finally, some of us are here this morning, and we said, look, I actually have prayed, prayed that prayer. It feels a bit strange to be praying for the first time, but me today, that's me. I'm saying to God, yes. And so if that's you, please tick new start. Tick new start. And then we're going to have those who have um, been serving, they'll collect up these. These aren't handed round to some big crowd or anything like that. But a little team of people will get in touch quickly. And in the next um, few hours, you know, in the next couple of days, they'll be on the phone and they'll be saying, hey, do you fancy a coffee? Because we'd love to help you as you make this new start, as you experience this transformed life with Jesus. And as you wait for that phone call, there's another little thing for you to take. There's a booklet on your table called Yes. You can find that. Why don't you dig around and find that? It says Yes on that toast rack. And uh, please take that if you've said yes today or if you're thinking about saying yes today. And this says, look, if you're saying yes to God, actually you're going to find that God says yes to you first. And that's what all this week has been about, that God says yes, yes to you in the person of Jesus. So please take one of these. You know, the team that are going to be collecting these, these are like gold dust. So please pick these up. Be really careful with these, stack them, keep them, um, keep them private, and we will be quickly in touch so that we can be following up those of us who are saying, yes, I want to be connected. Well, thank you. Thank you for being a part of this morning. It's quarter past 12. We're going to wrap up now. And as we do, we want to say thank you again so much to Simon and to Graham. Let's give them a big round of applause. And there's no hurry. The music's going to come back on in a moment. There's no hurry. We're going to be sitting here, enjoying conversations, speaking about these big things, mulling over them some more. Thank you for being a part of our Oakwall Cafe this morning, and we hope to see you again very soon. Thank you.